The following podcast is produced or sponsored by a community member. The content, views, and opinions expressed are those of the participants and do not reflect those of BMC or the town of Belmont. BMC welcomes your comments. Call us at 617-484-2443 or email us at access at belmontmedia.org. Hello again, and thank you for that brief moment of silence at the beginning. Welcome to another edition of the, the TOST Podcast here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network, found online at belmontmedia.org slash podcast, and also at soundcloud.com by searching Belmont Media. You can listen to the podcast at your convenience by downloading the free SoundCloud app available on both iTunes and Google Play stores. I'm Todd Bloniars from the award-winning Time Out for Sports Talk TV show available on BMC channels 9 and 29 and also on demand at belmontmedia.org. Joining me in the studio be co-pilot's chair, Howie McClellan. Always good to have you here. Uh, Hey. Always good to be here. And there you go. Always Always enjoy it. Always good to be heard, too. Yeah. (laughs) There we go. Don't shut my mic off, please. Yes, yeah, yeah, I know. Uh, Howie, the Red Sox are back in the World Series trying to win for the fourth time in the last 15 years in the immortal words of... Uh, radio voice uh, Joe Castiglione, can you believe it? <laughs> uh, no, after living through the 60s, 70s, and 80s, 90s, no. <laughs> yeah, no, these, these, yeah, these definitely are not the Red Sox, uh, the cursed Red Sox of our childhood for sure. They're winning, uh, they're winning almost as much as the Patriots. So, so in our grand tradition, we decided to uh, record a special postseason show for the Sox as they get ready to take on the Los Angeles Dodgers. And joining us once again on the phone is Chris Mason, aka Howie's nephew, who is the Red Sox beat reporter for CNHI Sports Boston. You can read his work online at Eagle Tribune. Uh, dot com. You can also read him uh, online, uh, Salem News, Gloucester Times. Is there anything I'm missing there, Chris? Newburyport Daily News. Oh, ooh. <laughs> folks on Plum Island. There you go. We got it covered. Okay. <laughs> it's anywhere up on the North Shore Cape Ann area, you can uh, check out Chris's work. And you can follow Chris on Twitter at by Chris Mason. Chris, thanks uh, once again uh, for joining us here. We kind of juggled the schedule around. Something came up for you, but we're glad uh, you were able to squeeze us in here on another podcast. Oh, great to be back on, guys. I'm glad you haven't gotten sick of me yet. <laughs> never do that, No, Gus. we never can't do, do that. that. <laughs> no, we can't do that. You, you're our inside uh, information to all things Red Sox. So, uh, well, uh, let's get uh, started here. I guess the first place I would go uh, really quick uh, before we move on to the World Series, just talk briefly about the uh, ALCS and uh, uh, how incredible that series was. I mean, boy, Alex Cora seemed to make every decision correctly. I'm, I'm actually going back to uh, – uh, some of your postseason uh, storylines here from your uh, your season pr- or your playoff preview, Chris, and uh, uh, you mentioned uh, uh, one of them, number five on your uh, ten postseason storylines to follow. Can Cora handle the heat? How will he fare as an in-game manager when the chess match intensifies? How do you you think he's uh, at a, a Kasparov-like level here uh, so far? Uh, <laughs> oh, it's, it's ridiculous! <laughs> it's like everything he touches turns to gold, and that hasn't stopped. Yeah, actually, it, it, it's been great because I think all the players have bought in so much that no matter what he asks them to do or suggests, they're all in, you know, and, it, and it's just a great thing to see um, other than teams from the past that, you know, no, this, that's not what I do. Like, you know, the time when Ramirez was uh, asked to pinch hit when it was his day off, he's just the bat on his shoulder, things yep. like that. That doesn't happen with this team because they buy into what he's selling. And I think he really does set a tone. Chris Sale was saying this today. Um, he, he was asked about Cora. 
And he said, like, no matter what the situation is, like, it could be the fifth inning with a 10 nothing lead or the ninth inning where they're down by one and need a hit, that Cora's never panicking. And if he's panicking, if, he, or if he's not panicking, then why would we? You know, like, we follow his lead, and he kind of sets it like that. So, yeah, I, I have been very impressed with him in the postseason thus far. Yeah, Chris, uh, how much do you think Cora's institutional knowledge of the Astros really helped make the difference in what I think a lot of folks thought, probably most of us thought, was going to be maybe a six- or seven-game series, and Houston probably the favorite in that series. Uh, uh, the fact that Cora you know, was their bench coach last year, uh, was it Cora? Was it uh, bullpen p- coach Craig Bjornsson coming over? I guess uh, maybe maybe he was a bigger X-factor than Cora, but hey, Cora was the one who brought him over when he came here. So, I mean, what do you think? Uh, you think that any of that played a factor in uh, uh, the Red Sox having some familiarity, or at least Cora and Bjornsson uh, with the uh, Astros team from last year and kind of passing along some uh, helpful information along the way? Absolutely. Uh, Bjornsson was the guy that I was going to single out, too. Just in terms of uh, someone that was out in their bullpen knows all of their pitchers' um, tendencies, where what they do well, what they don't do well, where they can throw. Like That's something that Cora mentioned pretty early on. He's like, you guys are giving me all this credit, but like CB is the one that really has the book on these guys. You know, Cora was a bench coach. It's not as um, specialized as what Bjornsson was doing. So I, I do think that had a uh, very positive effect for the Red Sox. Um, Probably should mention, for those people maybe not familiar with Craig Bjornsson, he's the bullpen coach, uh, right? I mean, I don't think he got a lot of talk during the course of the season. Uh, certainly a bullpen coach usually doesn't. No, definitely not. Um, yeah, the only time I think he actually got much press was when he, uh, I don't know if you've seen on Media Day, he'll always take the most ridiculous photos. And I, if you haven't seen it, look it up. It, they're, they're hilarious. But that was the one I think Craig Bjorn proposed that I wrote this year. Um, but he's someone that behind the scenes definitely had an impact on that series. Yeah, but again, like they always say, it, it's the players that win the game. I mean, you can have all the information you want in the world, but if you don't, you don't produce, the, the information doesn't mean anything. A perfect example is uh, Bradley. I mean, the guy hits 200, wins the MVP, you know, because he t- hit the mm-hmm. ball when he had to hit it. Timely hits, timely home runs. I mean... If you don't do that, all the information doesn't mean anything. Oh, of course, of course. Yeah, nine RBIs on three swings for Bradley. That's uh, that's getting it done when you need to. Yeah, definitely uh, some uh, productivity there. And then just back to Cora, uh, aside from you know the knowledge, like you said, the players have to produce when, when you put them in, but also Cora had the, uh, the guts. Uh, he's done it in each of the first two rounds. Uh, the Red Sox had a problem all year with an eighth inning guy, someone they could really count on to pitch the eighth inning. No problem. We'll just use our starting pitchers on their throw day. And it seems to have worked. I mean, you, we've had Rick Porcello, Chris Sale, Nathan Avaldi to close out the uh, ALCS against the Astros. Uh, I mean, that was, I guess, a, a stroke of genius. And uh, apparently, again, this might kind of channel back to Cora's institutional knowledge because uh, the Astros were doing a lot of this last year en route to their championship. Yeah, the thing that's been interesting to me about that is last year when the Astros had their starters going, they were almost always multi-inning guys. You know, like they'd have a starter come in, but for more than one inning. Cora hasn't shied away from using starters for just, you know, hey, we need one inning here. Like, Rick, you've got the ace. And, uh, I mean, they've obviously delivered big time. Do you think there was anything to that, uh, we'll call it Spygate 2, since the Patriots are the original Spygate guys, uh, with all with the uh, the guy in there they, watching to make sure they're not cheating and, you know, all that? Or, did that have anything to do with anything that they did or how they changed signals? Or And just to follow up really quick on Howie's point, Chris, uh, does Alex Cora kind of have sort of an Eric Mangini-like role in this, if we're going to make the complete uh, analogy to the to the Patriots' Spygate, in that, you know, he, he was with the team, they might have 
they've had a reputation for doing this. He comes to the Red Sox, and then he kind of makes maybe an anonymous call to the MLB offices or, or wherever to tell them to, to look out for this? No, I don't think so. Just because um, the Astros have been pretty rampant with it this year. Um, Evan Drellick had the story of uh, the same guy getting chased out of Yankee Stadium. The Indians were obviously aware of it in the AL CS and tipped the Sox off in the CS. Um, so I don't really see a core Mangini like parallel that way per se, but I mean I definitely think it's going on, and they are all so paranoid about sign stealing, and uh, I, I really think Manfred's dropping the ball with it. Um, he's kind of made it open season where you know you're not you're not actually going to get punished even if you get caught doing it. Like Apple Watch Gate last year, what happened? Oh, they got uh, the Red Sox and Yankees were fined. God forbid the billion dollar franchises have to pay a fine. That's not a real penalty. Yeah, I, I would think that, you know, being as close as Coral was with the uh, Astros management and everything, I think if he if it was going on, he was there, he would have just gone over and said, hey, man, cut it out. I know what you're doing. You know I know what you're doing. So let's just stop now and we'll just go from here. I, I don't see him as a whistleblower. I see him, I'd see him more going there and saying, look, why don't you just stop doing that because I know what's going on. Yeah, Um and Dombrowski said they caught the guy so early in game one that it had no impact on the game. So it's something that they were definitely aware of beforehand. But, I mean, the league's explanation for the whole thing was brutal. It's like, okay, so you got this guy caught taking photos in an area where he's not allowed to take photos, like the black and white rule. And you, you in, in their statement they said, oh, we confirmed that he was only making sure the Red Sox weren't cheating in their dugout. What? <laughs> on what planet is that a real thing? Like, come on. Um, but they're all – they've been, like – Across the league, teams have been paranoid all year. I mean, the Red so- there are certain places the Red Sox go where they just think their signs are being stolen. Um, Toronto is one of those places. So in April, they started doing multiple signs all the time, and that's something that they've just gone to a lot and they've almost gotten used to, you know? Yeah, well, I mean, if, if you're smart at what you're doing, you're always going to change up. I mean, because with film and stuff, you know, nowadays, I mean, they know what you're doing. They can see what you're doing. I mean, you'd have to be crazy not to change things up, especially at this point in the season. Yeah, and it, it's just interesting – like how technology has affected this. I remember last year during Apple Watch Gate, I was asking Pedroia about it, and he said, he like laughed out. He's like, bro, I've been stealing signs since I was in middle school. Like, it's just something we do all the time. Yeah. Like, that is part of baseball, but the technological advances have definitely made it egregious. And they've got to do something to slow it down, whether it's real penalties or I don't know. But everyone's paranoid. And the fact that, like, that became a major ALCS storyline, you know, when you have the two best teams in baseball playing, and that dominates the 24-hour news cycle. It's such a bad look for the league. Yeah. You know, Chris, uh, you know, the Astros, after they got busted for that, you know, obviously during game one, well, they were never the same. They didn't win a game after that. And then to add on to sort of the bad karma that worked against the Astros was uh, the Alex Bregman uh, putting up <laughs> that, uh, the, putting up the video of uh, Evaldi. And after he was asked to take it down uh, from that point forward, I think Bregman went hitless the rest of the series. So, I don't understand what what the Astros were thinking with any of this. It's just all this kind of you know you know as they say, instant karma is going to get you, as uh, John Lennon once uh, uh, oh, sang. And, you know, and Avali definitely got the last lap with Bregman. I mean, striking him out in the eighth inning, game five with a hundred two. Like, <laughs> yeah, oh sure, yeah, because I mean, you got to figure when, when the. Of, uh, did you see the clip of Price on the top step of the dugout yelling "post that"? <laughs> yes, I, I, I'm sure there were a couple of words after that, but I'm mm. sure we can't repeat yeah. them. Yeah. <laughs> but it's honestly, it's the second round in a row where, like, a team's done something stupid like that. Where Judge had the New York, New York thing, Bregman had the Instagram post, 
both times players were like, oh, no, we don't, we don't even know what you're talking about. We didn't really see them. And then, of course, they're playing New York, New York in the clubhouse, and you have Price yelling that game five. Like, they're very aware of it, and you don't need added motivation at this point. I mean, you're, you're playing, you know, you're in the ALCS, you're almost in the World Series. But it certainly doesn't hurt. Yeah, I do. It absolutely doesn't hurt to have even more. Do you think bulletin board material matters as much in baseball as it does in some other sports? Uh, I don't know. It's, it's hard to it, – bulletin board material is just such a hard thing to quantify where, like, you look at the early um, the early Patriots teams that were winning a lot with Belichick and, like, how seriously they took bulletin board material, and you listen to them talk about it afterwards, it's like, wow, like, I, I there's no way to really gauge how much this is impacting you, but you obviously believe it's a thing. And, you know, I don't know if it can make somebody try harder, but – it certainly seems like winning teams have a lot of it. I think what it does is that they do hear it, but when they win, they can throw it back in your face. And I think, yep. you know, that's that's the big thing, you know. Yeah, I asked Phil about it after game five of all these things. And you could tell he wanted to say something, but ultimately kind of bit his tongue and was like, uh, no, I have no comment on that other than, like, they can keep uh, posting whatever they want. We're just going to keep playing. And, uh, and he, like, really bit his tongue. He's like, but that's all I'll say. <laughs> yeah, well, you know, the other thing is Cora has a lot more things to deal with or worry about, like, you know, who is going to pitch the eighth inning. Uh, he's got to deal with a closer in Craig Kimbrell, who's just struggling all over the place. Uh, by the way, Chris, do you think that they've, uh, you know, they said uh, before he went out and pitched game five that they he was tipping his pitches, supposedly, and that was the problem. He goes out in in that game five and actually has his first scoreless inning of the postseason. So do we, yep. do we think the Red Sox have found the problem with Kimbrell and it's rectified, and now it's just a matter that Kimbrell get the ball over the plate or around the plate? I think they found a problem, not the problem, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. Um, he definitely was tipping. If you look at the side-by-side, like you could tell when the breaking ball is coming. But he still had no fastball command, and that's not a tipping thing. That's uh, There's something else going on, too. So <laughs> I think um, like getting him to stop tipping the curveball obviously helps, but he still needs to find the fastball command to be the closer that he can be. Now, I forget. Who was it? It was the next Red Sox pitcher that that called in and, and told me he could see what he was doing. Uh, I was Gagne. reading Eric Gagne. Yeah, there you go. Yeah, I mean, imagine getting a call from if someone like him and he noticed it. I mean, so the, I mean, and, that was great that he actually called and said something to him. Was that why Gagne, uh, Gagne pitched so poorly for the 2007 World Champs uh, when he was with the Red Sox? Maybe he was tipping his pitches. Maybe he, he, in fact, he learned unfortunately 11 years too late for him. But <laughs> at least he was able to help someone else out. <laughs> Maybe he just felt like he owed Cora one for that postseason. <laughs> oh, that's true, right? They were teammates that year. I've, yeah, that's right, unless we forget. Uh, you know, you talk about some of Cora's other decisions that so far, I mean, everything's just been, you know, he's had the Midas touch through this whole postseason, Chris. Uh, second base, third base catcher. I mean, the way he's been platooning guys around, it seems like everyone's kind of fitting in and, and getting, you know, he's got the right guys up at the right time. Uh, certainly Devers with the with the big home run in, in the, the clinching uh, game five against the Astros. Uh, just talk about uh, how uh, all that's happening, and and maybe how that uh, is also going to be changed possibly for the uh, for the World Series. It's interesting. So he kind of has done this the whole way, like where he's going to manage based on platoons, based on data. He's not going to really just like things for the sake of doing them. You know, like oh well, everyone says Devers should play every day. Well, Devers still isn't going to play every day in the World Series because Cora does value the platoon. And, you know, even though the kid keeps coming through, he's still going to give Nunez starts that he thinks he should get Nunez, and it's that simple. Um, so I think, honestly, just sticking with his method and continuing to do what he's been doing all year is just leading to more success. Are you concerned at all with the talk that, you know, they're talking about, you know, 
JD playing the outfield in LA and putting Mookie at second. I mean, defensively, I mean, that's going to be, you know, two. I mean, you're changing two guys' positions. So I don't think defensively that could be the best thing. I mean, offensively it is, but what are your thoughts on that? Uh, I, I like that in second. I have no problem with it, just given, um, like, your second base defense isn't lighting the world on fire anyways. Like, Holtz's average and Kinsler hasn't been the same since the hamstring injury. So I really don't think you're getting that much worse if that still has that natural ability. And he, um, well, it's kind of funny. So he still takes grounders on the infield every day because he um, thinks it keeps him in good habits with his hands when he has to field balls in the outfield. So Cora cautioned that, like, after game one, when he said he's on the table, or no, um, the first workout day or whatever, everyone started talking about it, and Cora said, yeah, yeah, no, like, it's on the table. I, I won't say no, but, like, you're going to see Betts working out at second base today. Don't freak out. He does it every day. And it's like, okay. So I watched Betts at second base that day, and it's like, sure. He was doing what he normally did. He was also practicing double play flips, which I don't see him do. <laughs> okay, yeah, I was going to say, also, how is – He was also staying there through um, through batting practice to get, like, live grounders hit at him, which he doesn't usually do, so – Okay, my biggest concern He's would be... He's playing second base. <laughs> right, yeah. Well, my biggest concern about him playing second base isn't so much just fielding grounders or what range he might have out there, because I know he's, he came up as a middle infielder. That's a, that's his natural position. The Red Sox moved him to the outfield be, you know, while he was developing through the system because they, they loved Dustin Pedroia, and they figured, well, you know, by the time Betts is ready, you know, Pedroia's at second, so he's blocked there. They had to find a spot for him. But the one concern I would have would be his turning of the double play. Remember, the Dodgers yeah. have Manny Machado, who can, you know, uh, well, he, he had issues with Dustin Pedroia at second base, and I would hate to see, uh, you know, so have you seen Betts practicing then, you know, actually turning the double play, like doing that pivot on a 6-4-3, his back's turned to the base runner, then he has to turn around and fire it to first? Not in front of us. Okay. Uh, well, I mean, that's, I, are, is that something you'd be concerned, I mean, concerned about at all uh, when, when you have, uh, you know, I, maybe Machado's the only guy you really have to watch out for in that regard, but... And if Machado did that, it would turn into, like, an Odor-Batista thing where if it wasn't Betts that punched him in the face, somebody would destroy him. Like, he <laughs> – sure, the damage would still be done, but I think Machado knows that. You know, like, he – it would be a bad situation if he took Betts out like he took Pedroia out. I was going to say, yeah, he already got his one – he already got his one uh, get-out-of-jail-free card with the Pedroia play. So he tries it again, they, um, all bets are off. And he already had his also get-out-of-jail-free card of the NLCS when he, uh, you know, kicking the first baseman's leg there, too. So you'd think. Red Sox certainly have not forgotten that. Um, talking to Matt Barnes today, <laughs> he made that pretty clear. Like, most of them downplayed all the Machado stuff. You know, like they could ask about it, like, oh, we're just focused on winning World Series. Well, Chris, have any, did any of the Red Sox pitchers sort of maybe indirectly or slyly imply that if a situation presented itself where they could sort of fire one at uh, under Machado's chin that they might do that? Did they kind of say it without saying it or, or maybe hint at it? or never, They'll never go that far. But, I don't know, in talking to Barnes, he said, I don't think anything's going to happen. Like, I really don't think anything's going to happen, but we certainly haven't forgotten it. He said, like, Pedroia really hasn't played since that play you know he's had his three games this year or whatever but that is the slide that's basically derailed his career like you you take a team's leader um out like that they're not going to forget it they're not going to take it lightly and Barnes said uh, he wasn't surprised when he saw the play with the Brewers first baseman he's like no I mean kind of got that that's kind of a trend right now you know he's got a track record yeah, it's too bad because he really doesn't have to I mean he's a good ball player I mean he he doesn't need to do this stuff and I just don't understand why he keeps doing it yeah, it makes no sense. Honestly, it's kind of like Brad Marchant in that sense when you're like, 
you're such a good player. Why are you doing this? You know, especially in a contract year too. I mean, he's 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 looking to get a huge contract this off season, and you would think he'd at least try to be on his best. That would give him some incentive to be on, on his best behavior, but it doesn't seem to have any effect at all. His NLCS was an absolute joke between the kicking play, which is obviously BS. When, how about game two when they were losing and he wouldn't run out of the ground ball? I asked him about it afterwards, and he said, I'm never going to be Johnny Hustle. Like, dude, yeah, it's that's just free agency coming in like a month. What are you doing? Yeah, it's, it's not just, a great selling yeah, it's point. It's just something you don't say, you know? I mean, even if you feel yeah. that way, you just don't say it. Yep. But to, like, actually have that bravado be like, I'm, not, I'm never going to be Johnny Hustle. Like, oh, God. Yeah, yeah and that's why you're never going to be the highest-paid player in the um, Major League Baseball either. <laughs> we are joined here uh, by Chris Mason on the telephone uh, from CNH- CNHI Sports Boston. He covers the Red Sox. This is, what, your second season uh, covering the team, right, Chris? And you're, you're already getting a chance to, to cover a World Series in just your second year. Yep. <laughs> that's, yeah, I was going to say, that's pretty exciting stuff. Let me throw out some fun facts for both you guys here with the, the Red Sox and Dodgers. Uh, certainly there's been some talk. Uh, it's the first time these, you know, the Red Sox and Dodgers have played one another, but technically not the first time the two organizations have met each other. You go back to 1916 World Series. Uh, the Red Sox uh, won in five games over the Brooklyn Robins, who would uh, eventually become the Dodgers. And one of the highlights of that series, a 2-1 to one win in Game 2, uh, a certain 21-year-old southpaw pitcher for the Red Sox uh, hmm, named Ruth. He tossed a complete game for the win. Oh, by the way, that game went 14 innings. <laughs> he pitched a 14-inning complete game. Oh, you'll love this part, Howie. Time of game, it was the longest game of the series. A tidy two hours and 32 minutes to play 14 innings. I think the commercial breaks were shorter back then. I think that's the reason why they uh, were able to do that. Actually, the clinching game of that series went an hour and a half. Wow. 90 minutes. Yep. Yeah, they got to take a page out of that book. Mm. Yeah, I wouldn't hate that. <laughs> so, you know, as we kind of now focus on the the 2018 Dodgers, this is a team, obviously, you know, you, if, they went, uh, if they were in the same division, the Red Sox would have beat them by 16 games. Uh, the Dodgers uh, did, had a very slow start, but they, you know, there were some questions, I guess, over the course of the year whether they'd even make the playoffs. And this is after being in the World Series last year as the runner-up. Uh, so, you know, we look at this team. I mean, they, they finished strong. They won 92 games, took care of the uh, the Braves and the Brewers. You could probably argue not the same level of competition the Red Sox faced on their road to the World Series. But, you know, what do you what do you kind of think of uh, this Dodgers team looking at them a little bit uh, you know, they got some. They got a good mix of veterans, and then you also pointed out uh, some of the young players in uh, one of your columns uh, today. Uh, the what the seven guys under twenty-seven to watch in this series. Yep. So, uh, you brought up uh, Cody Bellinger and uh, Walker Bueller, uh, who's yep. you know uh, Bueller, Bueller. Uh, hey, this guy kind of yeah. Who, who like so? Tell us a little bit about some of these guys, or who maybe some of the key guys to watch uh, in this series uh, for the Dodgers. The thing that like, jumped out to me about the Dodgers is that they don't really have the, oh, definitely don't pitch to that guy, guy. Like, Machado's as close as it gets, but still it's not someone that you that you have to pitch around absolutely. But they have eight guys with 20 home runs. So that's a lineup where they can beat you like a lot of different in a lot of different spots. They also have like a potential ace in Clayton Kershaw, who who didn't have a, one of his Clayton Kershaw like years. Uh, I think he only won nine games this year, which is kind of a, a strange stat. This guy usually wins close to twenty every year, and his playoff numbers he's kind of a little David Priceus, I guess. What nine and eight ERA of like four and a half uh, in his postseason career, but he's been winning more lately, and certainly has that ace capability if he can kind of put it all together. Uh, do we know for certain that he's going to be starting Game One and what the uh, yeah. 
what the uh, the matchups are going to like. How far along do we know the pitching matchups here, Chris? Um, so game one should be Kershaw. Um, all signs point to it being Kershaw. Yeah, I thought I heard that announced today. Actually, that he was starting game one. Okay. Okay. It's so he's it, he's interesting too. That like so this is a non Kershaw like year, right? Mm. Right. It was still like a two point seven. The guy's still nasty. Um, and it'll be interesting. Just um, a, just a random thing, but he's never pitched at Fenway before. Well, it's funny you say that too, Chris, because I think I read somewhere uh, that none of the outfielders for the Dodgers have ever played at Fenway either, and so that they, with all those issues. But uh, talk about Kershaw, and I, I think I know where you're going to be going with this. I guess he showed up at Fenway last night. Oh yeah, he was. So yeah, he threw a, a bullpen session last night in short sleeves, so it certainly looked like someone that was trying to acclimate to the conditions here. Um, and yeah, so he'll go against Sale. Um, who I, I guess his belly button's okay. Yeah, can, let, <laughs> let me ask you about that a little bit, Chris. I, I have a question on this this whole thing with the belly button. Okay, it's pretty. I mean, it, he was joking there, but yet when he said it in front of all the reporters, none of you guys were. Were you at his locker when he announced that? Because I didn't hear any. Nobody was laughing at all. Uh, I mean, I guess he's got kind of a dry sense of humor, perhaps. But like, were they not sure if he was actually being serious or not? A lot of people couldn't tell. Um, uh, it, he was completely deadpan, didn't smirk once. Um, but, I mean, if you think about what he said, it's obviously a joke. Like, <laughs> the number of people that took it seriously, it's like, come on, what are we doing here? Like, do you actually think the Red Sox ace had an infected belly button and that's why he had to stay over the ho- like overnight in the hospital and uh, couldn't keep solid food down for four days? Like, no, come on, it's ridiculous. Yeah, as I said to someone, I said, you don't stay overnight in Mass General Hospital because you have a rash in your belly button. I know. <laughs> I mean, really. Mm. You know? it, it, it was just crazy, though, how many people took that, like, you know, seriously and tweeted it out seriously. And oh, yeah, the next day they had reporters here live at Fenway talking about this belly button ring and it. it I mean, I'm looking going, you really wasted your time sending a reporter down there to, to, to report on something that was totally a joke? <laughs> oh, my God. The number of people that were asking about it today, too, at, like, media day, media availability, was insane. <laughs> how, how, like, I, all in all, how did he look? I mean, let's face it. He did have something wrong. I mean, something, you know, whether it be a stomach bug or lost a, some an infection. Yeah. I mean, how did he look? Did he physically, you know, how, how did he look to you? Better. Better than he looked when I saw him in Houston. Um he honestly, like, looked a little gaunter than usual, which is, you know, kind of hard. But, um, yeah, no, he, he definitely looks better. Like, it's <laughs> more color in his face. And uh, uh, he, he said he's good to go. It's funny. I I wonder if we're ever going to know, just between, like, where his arm's at right now, too. Like, if we're ever going to know what he's actually at, you know, like, how healthy he is. Someone asked him today, like, when's the last time you felt like you were 100% healthy? And he did the, oh, at any time I'm on the mound, I'm 100%. Like, yeah, that's not true. Well, at least like, he doesn't. You were hitting 91 your last game. Like, you're not completely right. And I think the stomach virus would make it that much worse. But now that he's had some time to recover, he's had a lot of time off. Um, I still don't know what you're going to see in game one, but I think it's certainly better than what you would have seen in game six. Yeah, at least you don't. I mean, he's a guy who doesn't make excuses for himself. And, you, and I think we all got to admire that. But, uh, and right, I mean, do you think that the night, what, he's had nine days off here? Uh, that, yeah, I guess you, you would say that that should probably help him here, I, I would think. <clears throat> uh, will the plan be 1-5 and then possibly bullpen for Game 7 uh, if it goes that far? That would seem to make the most sense, yeah. Um, the only other thing is just, like, Cora's been so... With, 
with the bullpen use, you know, it, it's so like you don't know when he could use Sale again. And that's why he really will only announce like game one and game two just it, because he doesn't know how aggressively he'll use his starters in the bullpen. Yeah, is Price um, a definite for game two at this point to start? Yeah, Corey Cor said that today, yeah. Okay. Yeah, no, no, I heard I heard something today. They, they they mentioned something about his elbow. Do you hear anything about that? Because that's the first time I heard anything about Sales' elbow. Oh yeah, I saw Dan Shaughnessy tweeted out a picture of it. Uh, it. There might be like a red bump on it, but it also could just be an elbow. Like one of those things that didn't really jump out at me, but it apparently was getting some play. Did his elbow look gaunt at all, or uh, no? <laughs> I mean, he, he just looks like Chris Sale, man. <laughs> yeah, yeah, no, it's uh, yeah. I mean, I you know, I think most of us would take even seventy-five or eighty percent of Chris Sale if that's all he can give the Red Sox here in this series. Um, talking about some other roster moves, uh, and I guess the t- official twenty-five man roster uh, ha- has it been set yet, or when does that officially happen? That'll be tomorrow. They're still waiting on Stephen oh, Wright. That's what I was going to ask about. Okay, so Stephen Wright, uh, I know he's eligible in this series if the Red Sox choose to activate him. Uh, what are your What do you think? Uh, do you, what are the odds you think that's going to happen? And if so, would it be uh, Heath Hembry that goes back uh, to be deactivated? Uh, I think there's a pretty good chance you can see Wright in the series, and you either take Hembry or Brandon Workman off one of those two. Um, well, that's true. Workman's numbers this actually postseason. Actually, be Workman. Yeah, he's, I mean, Henry's been um, his forty-five ERA, and uh, Workman has not been. So I don't know. You could phase him out, but it's interesting because, like, what point do you think, like, the possibility of Stephen Wright is better than the actuality of Brandon Workman? Um. So I, I think, like, medically, if he checks out, there's a pretty solid chance that uh, that you see him on that roster. And he would be a bullpen changer for them if he's healthy and can go multiple innings. Um, he threw a live BP yesterday and seemed fine after it. So, I don't know. That, that's one of those ones we'll see tomorrow morning. But Cora wasn't really tipping his hand on. Yeah, like I said, I, I still get scared when I think about knuckleballer being a reliever. You know, I mean, we come in with a clean inning, but with runners on, I, I don't know. I'm just, I've seen too many of them in my lifetime, going back to Wilbur Wood and, you know, Gaylord Perry and the rest of them. So... But just think about this, Howie. They brought in Tim Wakefield in 04, and, and uh, I, I believe there were some situations, there was a couple times where they actually had Veritech catch uh, Wakefield in that 04 World Series. Mm-hmm. And, of course, if you remember, Mirab- Doug Mirabelli was, like, his personal caddy. And they brought him in in 03, too, didn't they? I, they may have, yeah. <laughs> yeah, but, yeah. Who, who, well, no, who, I don't— uh, Who well, Boone hit the home run off of? Yeah, right, okay. Uh, but, uh, sorry, you know. I just—you <laughs> know, history, I'm just— No, gonna... that's fine. But I'm just—I'm saying, you know, one of the things here— and I, I believe one of the advantages with all these Red Sox catchers is, yes, we it's very true we don't know where the knuckleball's going, but— uh, I don't know. Uh, we've talked about this maybe with you yeah. too, Chris. I don't. Does Wright's knuckleball have a reputation of dancing around quite as much as uh, as Wakefield's did? Because, of course, another thing is Wright's. I don't a think he throws more, it. As he much doesn't throw either. it right. He doesn't yeah. throw it as often. Yeah. So he actually throws three different kinds of knuckleballs, which is interesting. Um, I talked to him about it earlier this year, actually, and it, it's like I never would have guessed that. But he has. So he has one. He throws at sixty-five. One at seventy. One at seventy-five. And, like, if he's throwing the 75-mile-an-hour one, that's not going to move as much as the 65-mile-an-hour one, if that makes sense, because there's more time going. Um, but he's been able to throw for strikes. That's the thing. Like, he hasn't completely lost the strike zone in any of his recent appearances when he's been out there. And if he can throw for strikes, I mean, then you're really just asking your catcher to block it, you know? It doesn't have to be perfect. But um, it's not It's not like he's been real wild with it. He actually – it's, it's interesting. Um, he – has thrown zero wild pitches this year. Really? 
That's incredible. Yeah, I looked it up. It, it's funny. I think Barnes led them in wild pitches, and uh, yeah, Wright had not thrown one. Well, that, wow. Yeah. I was gonna, I was gonna say, is he better off throwing it throwing it in the warm weather or the colder weather? He's better off doing pitching here or better off pitching in L.A. I don't know. I don't think it affects him that much either way. I remember, uh, I always remember Wakefield would be nasty in Tropicana Field in like a controlled environment. So I don't know if that's knuckleballers in general or if that was just Wakefield or maybe just the uh, how bad the Rays were at the time. <laughs> You know, Chris, let's stick on the weather for a second here, too. Uh, game time temperature uh, for first uh, pitch of game one tomorrow night as we're recording this on Monday night, uh, you know, 24 hours before game one. Uh, it's supposed to be 49 degrees, which is going to be the coldest temps that any of the Dodgers players have felt in, I don't know, at least going back to the regular season. I mean, they played Atlanta and they played in Milwaukee, which was covered, uh, domed, so... Uh, yeah, this is going to be maybe a little something for, uh, well, of course, as you said, part of the reason why Kershaw was out there uh, Sunday night uh, throwing in the bullpen all by himself. Yeah, I think it could be just as big a factor for Sale, too, because he's, he's a whack job that's going to wear short sleeves no matter what. And if he doesn't have his velocity and he can't command his secondary pitches because his hands are going, like, you know, if he, if he can't command the slider, then he could be in trouble. Um, and on a cold night, that's definitely more difficult. Then, of course, there's always uh, David Price to think about. We know uh, he's had some issues with the cold weather. Uh, let's talk briefly, though. What did you think of uh, Price's performance? I know you you and I kind of shot a couple texts uh, to each other on Thursday. And, you know, we both kind of had the same thinking that maybe Price would actually have a good game there, uh, even though <laughs> history didn't point to it. But uh, he gets his first postseason win. I think now the sky could be the limit for him as far as, well, that, you know, he got the 800-pound gorilla off his back. So, yeah, I mean... He doesn't have to think about that anymore, but maybe if it's cold on Wednesday night when he's scheduled to pitch, is that going to get into his head? <laughs> we have to keep things out of his well, head. I don't, that I don't like think this. so at this point. I hope not. But what, do you, what are your thoughts, Chris? Oh, I think it could definitely affect him again. And i that's why I'm surprised to see him start game two and not game three, because you could just make it a complete non-issue and throw up all the game two, who's been nasty, you know? Um, if, yeah, but if it goes seven, that, that, yeah. That start in Houston, I think, will go a long way in terms of, you know, just like his mental state. Um, I mean, that's as good as I've seen him pitch all year, you know, and that's against an Astros team that's one of the best lineups in baseball in a playoff game, in an elimination game for them. And it's after they'd just seen him a few days before. You know, he's on three days rest and he did that. So maybe that's like, the key. Seeing, maybe we need to pitch him on three days. kind of always been what yeah. you need with him. And now that he's done that, I think he can believe it too. Right. right. So maybe that's what we need to do pitch him on three days. <laughs> <laughs> I, I just think, yeah, no, but Howie, to your point, I, I think that was something he, he didn't have to worry about. He didn't have five days building up to, oh, my God, i got to pitch, I'm going to pitch, I'm going to pitch. It was three days. It kind of almost like it was like rushed for him. He didn't have to worry about thinking that, oh, I, I have to start this game all of a sudden. So it wasn't wasn't rattling around in his head as long, which seems to be a, a big key with David Price because he's got tremendous stuff. He just needs to be able to, you know, uh, get his get his head straight. But I, I think, like you're saying, Chris, too, with the way he pitched uh, in that uh, the, the clincher, the LCS, that uh, maybe he does have his head on straight. Uh, all right, so to sum up here, uh, we'll let you go. Uh, as I know, you got other things to – you got other commitments tonight, of course, uh, getting ready here for the start of the World Series. So uh, what's your, uh, your, your prediction? I mean, the Red Sox just seem to be rolling. Uh, their 5-0 row record is very impressive, too. So uh, uh, what's, uh, what's your thoughts on uh, this matchup with the Dodgers? Uh, I like the Red Sox in six. Um, I think the Dodgers will. I, I don't think it'll be a clean sweep, but I, I just think they're a better team, you know, top to bottom. I think they're um, 
just just the better team in this series, and I'd have a hard time picking against them after what I saw in the ALCS. Yeah, obviously, obviously they played a lot of better talented teams than the Dodgers have getting to this point. So yeah, I, I just you know, I, as far as I'm concerned, I think that the best games of the playoffs have already been played. This is just a preliminary thing at this point. So how many games do you think it's going to go, Howie? Five. Okay, I'll give the Dodgers one. All right. Yeah. Well, I mean, the Sox have clinched every series on the road, so it wouldn't necessarily, you know, to, to keep the pattern. I guess five would be the uh, the right way to go. If it happens, I mean, the Red Sox are going to win, or I'm sorry, to use the Howie Turner phrase, when it happens. When they win. When they win. The Red Sox will have won four uh, World Series in the last 15 years, the first team this century in Major League Baseball to win four championships. And, uh, I mean, number one, can we officially call it a dynasty? And number two, wouldn't it be kind of fitting? This isn't so much a question, but a thought, but it would be fitting that they do it against the Dodgers while the guy who arguably with his single stolen base in game four of the uh, 2004 ALCS kind of began the dynasty, Dave Roberts, the Dodgers manager. Yeah, I don't know if I'd call it a dynasty just because you're going to have three different managers that want it and you have a lot of different personnel. But for baseball's sake, I mean, I think, you know, it might be the closest thing we get nowadays because it doesn't seem like there really are any dominant teams that go year after year after year. I mean, maybe, you know, you could argue the Dodgers, I suppose, the last – this is, a, they, what, their sixth year in the postseason, I heard. Uh, but, yeah, other than that, I mean, I don't know. I think if, if you base it just on winning championships, even though I know they're all totally different teams, they're kind of like the San Antonio Spurs. They won a, a bunch of different year. I guess maybe their teams were a little similar, though, compared to the, to the Red Sox, but – I don't. I think the Giants were a pretty recent dynasty in terms okay. of what they yeah. win three and three and five. five yeah, three and they won the even years. Yeah, what was it? 10, 12, yeah. 14, Right. So uh, yeah, I feel I don't care. If we we don't need to label them. We don't call them a dynasty. Let's just enjoy the ride this year and you know just have fun with it because they're they're a fun team to watch. Yeah, and they're definitely having fun too. I mean, that's something they've all said over and over again, and it was something that they kind of lamented at the beginning of the season, like. Spring training, you get them at their most honest, really, like when they come. And Mookie and I think it was Jackie both said, like, we don't feel like we had enough fun en route to winning the AL East last year. Like, took our losses home with us. It, it became, like, a real grind, and they just wanted to have more fun this year. And I think with Cora, it's pretty obvious they are. I was just going to say, I think that's the difference in the managers from last year to this year. Oh, yeah. That's I mean, they'll never say it, but reading between the lines, I wholeheartedly agree <laughs> yeah and I think yeah right they've come like right up to the edge of saying it a lot of times and it really is the action speaking louder than the words I mean you know I guess Chris just hanging around with this team all year the one impression I suppose you would get here is that the Red Sox aren't uh, you know underestimating this Dodgers team because they know they still have work to do uh, they seemed rather focused even after beating the Astros in the ALCS when you might have thought they had a really big reason to go crazy they kind of kept it somewhat subdued so like what uh yeah i mean do you, there's no chance the red sox are going to be looking past the dodgers here and just kind of uh showing up right i mean that's oh yeah no of course of course they know that they um they still have to show up and they have four games to win i mean they might be favored in this series but um no they they, they understand that they need to play well to win hey one last question chris how much champagne did you get sh- soaked with the other night <laughs> see it's pretty like <laughs> If you want to avoid the champagne and getting soaked with it, it's not too hard. Like, yeah, because you, you were wearing a... on the periphery until the initial, like, soaking goes on. And yeah, because you, you were wearing a poncho and... at all, Chris. I noticed you were one of the guys in there not wearing a poncho, so... Oh, yeah, that, that's that's attention-seeking behavior. That's If you're wearing goggles and a poncho as a reporter, come on. Yeah, really. Um, but I did I did kind of get it a little bit this time. Like, I, I stayed pretty dry the last two, but Price was talking right in the middle of it, and it's like, oh, I, I need Price right now. You know, like, I, I need to get this audio. 
what's going to happen uh you know if they, when they do win it all uh you know you're going to you're going to get you, soaked you got your strategy mapped out already how to stay dry for that one or are you going to do you not care oh no I, i'm going to try and stay dry of course <laughs> but, <laughs> just ha- um, just have a change of clothes in your car will you right it works <laughs> but yeah champagne's hard to get out of your hair man <laughs> <laughs> so a wonderful thing to worry about mm. well <laughs> no kidding well, Chris, listen, it's been really fun talking to you this month, and uh, we thank you for joining us. Hopefully we can get you in studio one of these days. I know after the uh, baseball season's over, I know you're going to be kind of back on Celtics beat again, so we'll have to see if we can try to find a mutual time. Definitely, definitely. Works. Always fun chatting with you guys. All right, thanks for coming right. on, buddy. We appreciate thanks, it. Thanks, yeah, and have a, and, and just enjoy everything about the World Series. It's uh, you know kind of a once-in-a-lifetime kind of a dream <laughs> event, so... Uh, you don't know how many times it will happen. Uh, just enjoy your time doing covering this one. Thank you. I, I definitely will. All right. All right. Thanks a lot. Yep. All right. That is uh, Chris Mason from CNHI Sports Boston. You can follow him uh, again on Twitter at by Chris Mason. Check him out. He's got good stuff. Uh, if, if you're still of the newspaper reading type, uh, you can follow him. Or uh, he writes uh, his work shows up in the Eagle Tribune. Uh, it's no longer the Lawrence Eagle Tribune. I think they dropped the, yeah. the, the Lawrence. And all, and all you uh, people that don't know what a paper is, you can still catch them on uh, your uh, well, they all iPhone. Have webs- right, they all have uh, websites. Websites, you-, you know, he can still be he can be seen there too. Salem News, Gloucester Times, and I guess the Newberry Chronicle or whatever it was. I forgot the thing that newspaper too. <laughs> so uh, they're all there. But uh, uh, wow, yeah. Well, that was good. I'm glad we had him on. Howie, any other thoughts you kind of have on the upcoming series or anything? Maybe we didn't quite. Uh, cover no i mean i i think it's i think it's gonna be a good series i think it's gonna i think the red sox you know should win it with no problem i you know i'm looking down this lineup the dodgers i don't see a lot of names that really bother me i mean you got machado you got bellinger but i mean a lot of these guys i don't really you know Puig. i mean they just don't scare me they don't scare me like the yankees did they don't scare me like houston did you know i mean those teams for good reason (laughs) yeah those teams had lineups that you know Right down the the thing, there was no one you could pitch around because you know they the next guy coming up was going to be just as good or better. So, but I don't see this with this Dodgers team, and you know hopefully I'm wrong, but you know they just don't give me any feel like the last two teams we beat. Yeah, I mean the one guy probably of all to watch out for is Machado, not just just because of his talent, but also remember he's played the Red he's Sox. dirty. Well, and also and he knows the Red it, Sox well. He's yeah. he's played them a lot, so he knows all these pitchers. He has a good track record. I mean, I think he's faced a lot of the Red Sox pitchers a, a lot, so he knows what to expect up there or at least going up to the plate. He's got a good approach and all that. So, yeah, and then there's the dirty aspect too which you have to watch out for. Yeah, I'm more concerned uh, with also. that, you know. Yeah. Uh, you know. Nobody can do you know, playing the game what it can do to hurt our players. Yeah, you know? no, and that's a concern, especially if they're going to play bets at second base, uh, you know, in those, uh, those you know, games three through five, uh, you know, at Dodger Stadium. So that's, uh, yeah, I mean, what would you, would you, so what would you do, though? I mean, if you were Alex Cora, would you want to play bets for all three games at second base, or do you do you just sit either Benintendi or Bradley? Um, I think you got to play him. I mean, unless you got to play Martinez, yeah. Unless he's hurting you defensively at second base, you got you got to play him there to keep Martinez bat in the outfield. I'm more concerned, no, with bats at second because he's played second up until he got to the Red Sox. Mm. Again, like we said earlier, that was his natural position. Yeah, it's more putting a guy in the outfield who hasn't played a lot in in a spacious outfield. You know, when he goes to L.A., Mm. you know, his him defensively, I'm more worried about than Betts defensively because again. Betts is taking ground balls. He has all year. He said he does that to keep his hands fast so he doesn't get lazy hands in the outfield. And he played it 
you know, forever. So, you know, right. I, I'm more worried about the the defense of uh, Martinez. Well, and that's a good point, Howie, because I think it also kind of puts a little extra pressure on Bradley and Benatendi if they're going to put bets that they're going to bring him in to play second. Then those uh, Bradley and Benatendi kind of have to cheat a little bit more to maybe, you know, because of the limited range Martinez would have. We assume that Martinez would probably play right field, I, I would think, because yeah. you want to keep Bradley in center, and I don't think they're going to flip Benatendi to right. So that puts uh, Martinez in right field at Dodger Stadium, which is, I believe it's a symmetrical mm-hmm. park, so it doesn't doesn't really matter whether JD plays left or right. He's going to have the same kind of dimensions to deal with. But uh. yeah, I, I I think that though with again, they, they, I hate it with shifts in today's analytics that they, they get a better advantage having him out there because they can position him better than say 15, 20 years ago where you didn't have that. So you know, you talk about the cheating over and the moving. They can position them better because of the analytics, you know, because they know what the bat is where they hit as you, opposed to years ago. And, you know, with some of those lefty hitters on the Dodgers, you could even just start pushing Mookie back so he's playing, like, shallow right field. And you could kind of cheat that way, too, because, I mean, obviously you see a lot of second basemen on these crazy shifts. They sort of will start playing what's really almost a, a I was going to say a short outfield. fielder like they play in softball. Yeah, exactly. Short yeah, fielder. right. That's what, I mean. That's what they play, a short fielder. Well, Mookie literally uh, is a short fielder. <laughs> More ways than one. I, right, that's what I mean. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Exactly, exactly. But uh, no, it should be a fun series. Uh, certainly, the, the 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 beat LA, you know, the whole Boston LA element too, which is uh, kind of fun. Even my mom said she's rooting for the Red Sox. So she was born in Brooklyn, grew up a Dodgers fan, but uh, she just. Uh, yeah, she doesn't trust them anymore. So she, you know, since they uh, moved to LA, actually, it's interesting. The Red Sox have actually won more World Series in their history than the Dodgers. Because you, you think of the Dodgers back when, they, especially in their Brooklyn, in Brooklyn days. Yeah. Although they only won the one time because they, they'd always run into the Yankees. The Yankees always beat them, so they won once in Brooklyn. They won five times in LA. They so ran they, into the Giants a lot too back then. The New York Giants, right? That's true. They even recently, in recent years, they've run into the Giants too. Uh, you know, uh, like you know, guys like Madison Bumgarner and stuff. So yeah, it's. Uh, you know, yeah, it'll be. Uh, it's it's going to be a fun series. I like I say. We'll see old friend Rich Hill. Rich Hill, Milton's Rich Hill. That's yeah. right, uh, Milton native. Yeah, and uh, you know, Red Sox. What it, where's that, our buddy Adrian Gonzalez? <laughs> that's a good point. Yeah, where is Adrian Gonzalez? He's still in baseball. I mean, it's yeah, no, I think he was on the disabled list most of the year. Oh. I think he is still playing. He's still a member of the Dodgers. Let's put it that way. Wow, you mean kind of like the way Jacoby Ellsbury is still a member of the no, Yankees? Yankees? Exactly. Exactly. Oh my goodness. You know, Rich Hill too has he owes the Red Sox a, a debt of gratitude because he had that one month. Just before he hit free agency, he pitched really well, and then he, that's how he got the big contract. Uh, I think I don't think it was I think it was with Oakland or something. He eventually ended up with the Dodgers, but uh, but yeah, I mean he he's become a multimillionaire. Very, I think a lot of it was based on that one month he pitched in Boston. Yeah, well, so, that, yeah, uh, it was good. He did pitch. Actually, I was I was hoping they kept him that year. You know, when he went out, you know, when he was up for his contract, I was hoping that they uh, were able to hold on to him, but they couldn't. Yeah, no, I know. I think there was, yeah, I think we talked, I remember we talked about that on uh, on the uh, TV show for sure. Uh, well, really quick here, we'll kind of wrap up. I, I, I figured we might as well talk a little Patriots since you and I are here and we, we saw the game yesterday. Uh, boy, that was a crazy one, huh? I mean, we just, I don't even know where to start on that game. That had a little bit of everything. Uh, the good news, I suppose, right out of the gate, it doesn't, they don't think, there's reports out there the Sony Michelle injury is not that no, serious. No structural damage. Right, I guess maybe it's a sprained MCL, so maybe he misses a couple of weeks, but not the rest of the season, which, you know, I think Patriots fans can breathe a sigh of relief on that, especially with the uh, lack of depth in the backfield. Uh, but uh, Thank God for special yeah. teams the other day. Ooh. I mean, I mean, you get the, the kickoff return, you get the block punt. I mean, there's 14 points with the extra points. I mean, right yeah. there, out of, the, out of the 38 they had, 
So right, and they then they had what uh, three turnovers of their own. Yep. Um, so they needed to score off the Bears' turnovers. I mean, like I say, it was just such a wild game. And then you know, even right down to that last play, it's like you know. And the thing is, you know, Gronkowski doesn't make the trip because of the back, but he would have been out there on that last play had he made the trip. Yeah. And uh, you didn't have him, and you almost they had felt... Gordon out there instead, who who skied, but yeah. that, I don't know if he just missed it or he. He kind of got blocked out of it, but I mean, if you watch the replay from the end zone, he he was over the guy's top, over the back, mm. but somehow the guy caught it. Thank God they tackled. Do you realize too? I mean, first of all, I couldn't get over how often Mitchell Mitchell Trubisky, not Mitch, don't call him Mitch, Mitchell Trubisky, how he was throwing. I mean, he must have. I mean, the Oakland A's back, you know, in the days of when they were throwing deep all the time. I mean, Al Davis would have loved this quarterback, right? Yeah. I mean, he's firing deep all the time. It, honestly, the Patriots almost hurt themselves in this game because I think on that last throw by Trubisky, I think he hit an arm, or I think the Patriot arm struck him, which caused that throw. Instead of it being overthrown, it ended up short, and it allowed his receiver to catch it at the one yard line. So actually, they. Should thank they should thank us for being underthrown. Well, if he, yeah, because if we overthrew it, it would have gone to the end zone. Yeah, I think so. Don't you? I mean, the I way was, he was overthrowing everybody all day. I mean, yeah, I was, I was impressed. I, I, it's the first game I really watched him. I mean, yeah, and me I too. and I was uh, pretty impressed with him as far as you know some of the up and coming quarterbacks. You didn't hear a lot of them. We don't see a lot of them, but you know, watching him, it's like, man, this guy's pretty good, mm. <laughs> and he's only going to get better. Yeah, you know. So, I mean, uh, right now, I guess the, you know, Patriots are what tied with the Chargers. I think they're both 5-2 and two and Kansas City 6-1 and one, uh, in the AFC. And, of course, the Patriots have that head-to-head tiebreaker, which is big. So they're, you know, it, it, it's amazing. Three weeks into the – after week three, the Patriots were two games out of first. After week seven, the Patriots are one game up over the, the Dolphins, who've just, you know, the Pats have won four in a row, and the Dolphins have just done what you kind of expected the Dolphins to do. Yeah, they, they, uh, they... Brock Osweiler's magic couldn't last. Brocktober didn't continue for Osweiler, <laughs> even if it's continuing for Mr. Holt. Yeah, this, uh, this Tannehill just can't seem to play a whole season for him, number one. And, you know, again, they just they don't have a lot other than that. They, they let a lot of things, a lot of guys go, and I don't know. They're just. It's too bad because they were they were a very proud franchise. They were very good, but now they're like they like play mm. the first quarter of the season and then they're just gone. <laughs> yeah, I mean, and then how about you know you talk about some of the other big contenders, the Eagles. I mean, what's what's they you know someone was telling me today they think that the Eagles are really look like they're having a Super Bowl Super hangover. Bowl hangover. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I mean, and the odd part is they've got their starting quarterback in there. Should Nick Foles back in? I I don't know. It worked well for him on you know in February, yeah. but uh, nah, I just think it's it's just that. I mean, remember the Pats after they won their first one the next year? I don't think they even yeah. made the playoffs the next year. And I think that's the only time. Yeah, the yeah. actually it's the only time in this entire Brady Belichick era since Brady started that they haven't won at least ten games. They went nine and seven that year. Right. Right. It's the only time they haven't oh reached double digits and wins so that's uh that's a big part of it and then i think the other crazy play uh from yesterday was uh the, the baltimore kicker there uh, tucker first first extra point missed ever yeah and did you see how he missed it did you did you see the kick yeah. was heading out towards the uprights and then like as just as it was a few yards from from crossing over the it like took a sharp right turn like i you know if you don't believe in some kind of divine being i i think he did something to mess up, the, you know, whatever. I mean, that that thing took a turn. Like, how do you do? You, that, how, that reminds me of some of the kicks in, sometimes in Buffalo in the middle of December. Right. You know, where the wind's yeah. blowing so bad that the, the uprights are actually swaying and the ball goes up and goes over. 
you know, yeah. or look, it almost looked like one of my tee shots. <laughs> yeah, well, <laughs> yeah, mine too. But you know, that's the thing. It wasn't like there was a there was a gusting wind yesterday during well, that game. So that thing was just. I mean, I don't know. Like, I say, I don't know what kind of crazy spin or whatever he put on that thing. But wow, uh, and, and of course, what a way to miss. You, you know, you'll miss your first career one when you're trying to get to overtime and you lose by a point. I mean, uh, speaking of which, the Browns another overtime loss. Yeah, I mean, what are they? They're one, two, and what? They played four overtime games in seven weeks. Yeah, I mean that's 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 crazy. But that's good there for are them though. I mean, yeah. I mean, think of where they were and where they are right now. They're like so close to to mm. now. These they win these games. I mean, they got the <laughs> best record in the in the NFL right now. You know, mm. except for yeah, I mean, it's, they're they've just keep they've lost them, but I mean, they've been in every game they've played, as far as I remember. Yeah, and there's been a lot more overtime games so far. I mean, I mean obviously there's been two ties already, and and there's just all these other games going to overtime. I just, you know, maybe it, maybe it's the parity, maybe it's the fact you can't play defense anymore. You know, there's I don't no know yeah, there's hardly there's no defense anymore yeah. in the NFL. They've they've, they've done every, made every rule they can to make sure there's none. Mm. And it makes me realize that the Patriots really don't have to be a, a great defensive team. They can they maybe just have to be good and I don't even know how good they have to be when you look at you know you look at other defenses you compare them around the uh it's almost like all you got to do is get the ball last I mean it's all you're playing for now is get the ball in the last two minutes of the fourth quarter mm. you know because that seems how all the games seem to be ending yeah well I hope you enjoyed that one o'clock game Howie because I, I believe there's not another one on the schedule for like about a month uh, next Monday night they play in Buffalo then there's a Sunday nighter against Green Bay and then there's a bye week so I think it's like mid-November before the Patriots are back on Sunday afternoon again what'd you think of Rabel's move oh going for yeah. the two going for the win Good instead question. of the tie yeah uh then yeah, I think that's the second time he's done that this year too uh, it seems very Belichickian which is appropriate since Rabel uh, you know certainly played uh, uh, you know uh, under him. Uh, I don't yeah. know if I've ever remember Bill ever going for the win and going for two and one at the end. One at the end. Well, you know, but fourth and two against the Colts. Yeah, I mean, I know that's a different. It's a yeah, little different. we're talking about tying the game to go to overtime or losing the game. Right. I mean, you're guaranteed of getting at least another ten minutes if you kick the extra point. Yeah. Which, well, maybe I don't know. Maybe you know their kicker's not even as good as the Baltimore kicker. Maybe Rabel just didn't have a good feeling he was going to make it. I don't. know. Maybe it was windy in London uh, yesterday. I wasn't watching that game uh, at all, so I didn't. Yeah. Uh, I just he just went for it, you know. Yeah. I, I I gave him an A for effort, but you know. No, I'm glad you brought that up because I actually I was listening to some of it on the radio, and uh, yeah, I heard that they were onside kicking, and I'm thinking. Well, didn't they just score a touchdown? And it's like, why would they be, you know, why are they onside kicking? Because a touchdown would have tied the game. And I'm thinking, because I, I guess yeah. I missed the part where they went for the two, uh, you know. But, yeah, it's like it didn't make sense. And then I'm thinking, oh, my God, I think Vrabel went for it. I just said that I'm thinking, why would he, you know. But, yeah, I don't know. It's uh, kind of a gutsy call. Sp- staying on the Titans a real quick minute, I guess uh, I just keep hearing, at least anecdotally, that uh, Butler, Malcolm Butler is uh, struggling a bit uh, there, uh, you know, certainly trying to play up to the the big contract he signed. You know, how many how many kinda... Patriots have left the the system, gone elsewhere, and failed? I yeah. mean, it's not it's not uncommon that that happens. Right. I mean, I haven't heard that much about Dion Lewis, uh, you know, over there. Uh, of course, the Patriots could certainly use Dion. They could use some running backs. Maybe right we can now. get him back. <laughs> yeah. Well, I, I don't know. Yeah, the trade deadline I think is October thirtieth, so they've got like a week and a half or so to try to. I don't, you know, Belichick, I think almost every year, the last like four or five years has swung some kind of a deal for something. Do you, do you anticipate, do you think he's going to make any kind of a deal or? Well, they got to do I'm, something. They need, they need another running back. We don't know how long uh, Michael's going to be out. Yeah. And I mean, all they got is their scat backs. I mean, although that kid they picked up from uh, the Eagles last year, he, he was oh, pretty Barter? good. Yeah. yeah. I, I was, I was happy with seeing him, but 
I mean, he's not really that big of a guy. He's not a, a LeGarrette Blunt or, you know, someone that's going to pound the ball for you. Um, if you want a big pounder, uh, Mike Gillisley, I guess, is out there. He's still he's waiting for the phone to ring. Yeah, well, there's a reason, <laughs> there's a reason he's waiting for the phone to ring. He, he, had, t- he had two tries here. Yeah. So I don't think I they're going to go that route. Yeah, I don't know. It's, uh, at least he's familiar with the system, though. I'm just wondering who else would be out there that they could even you – know, they might want to take a stab at. Unless they grab the guy off the practice squad. Remember that kid Webb who pitched, played pretty well in the preseason? I mean, I don't, yeah. I don't know if Belichick wants to take that kind of gamble, though. But I don't know. We'll see what happens yeah, in the coming we'll hours. Yeah, boy, I'll tell you, these next, uh, you know, these next few days, uh, again, we are just so spoiled around here. I keep saying it, but it, it just rings true. There's so much going on. and yeah, Back to sleep deprivation. Here we go. Yeah, well, <laughs> well just to, you know, the World Series will be over no later than October, th- than Halloween. So after that, November, you can start catching up on sleep again. <laughs> I'm open before that because I'm not expecting seven games. No, I'm, I'm certainly not uh, either, uh, you know, for sure. So, uh Anyway, again, don't forget to follow us on social media by searching Time Out for Sports Talk on Facebook and on Twitter, at TOSTBMC. Get the links to the latest TOST podcast as soon as they're available. We'll get this one up fast so you can uh, listen to it before the World Series starts. Uh, Don't forget, you can also check out previous uh, TV shows on demand at belmontmedia.org. And our next live show will be on Wednesday, November 14th. Uh, So one one more time, I want to thank Chris Mason, uh, a.k.a. Howie's nephew from CNHI Sports Boston. Until next time, for Howie McClellan. Thank you very much. Great this to is, be here. <laughs> this is Todd Bloniars. Thank you for checking out the TOST Toddcast right here on the Belmont Media Podcast Network.